Good morning, church. My name is Jeff. I'm one of the pastors here. Would you join me in prayer? Father, thank you for how we've already been able to worship you this morning in song. In your word, I pray that you would be filling our hearts anew and afresh with your spirit. Lord, would you speak to us as we look at your word together as we anticipate Christ. Lord, you know that we are not all together in one place physically. I pray that you would overcome that distance and draw us near to each other and to you by your Spirit this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I am so thankful to be with you this morning, especially during this season. With those of you who are at home and those of you on the phone, those of you who might be in the parking lot listening, this is a really unique time to worship Jesus together. And like Jay said, we aren't doing crafts. If you cannot see what, I, what Jay is talking about, if you're on the phone, I have next to me my family's Advent wreath. I brought it this morning, and a little later this morning, I'm going to be lighting a few of the candles as we pray together. So today is the third Sunday already of four Sundays in Advent. Our word Advent comes from Latin, which means arrival, or appearing, or coming. And it's the season, as we've been saying, where we look backwards and we look forwards at the same time. We look back at the first coming of Jesus, the first advent, and we look forward to the second coming of Jesus, the second advent, when the resurrected and reigning Jesus will come back again to set all things right. Some family friends of ours made a beautiful sign in there, and they hang it in their home, and it has just two words on it. It says, anticipate Christ. Anticipate Christ. They have that hanging to remind them to expect, to look forward to, and to see Christ's work in the world and in themselves every day. Because every day really can be an opportunity for all of us to anticipate Christ to anticipate his work and activity in our lives. And Advent uniquely gives us the opportunity to practice that, to practice the anticipation of Christ in our world and in our hearts. So this morning, as we anticipate Christ together, we're going to look at a, a couple prophecies of preparation. Brian already read part of one of them that we'll look at, and we'll look at some more. These are prophecies that anticipated Christ arriving on earth. And we'll see together that the people of God have been anticipating for centuries and really millennium for his appearing. Just like the first two Sundays we worshiped together in Advent, this week we'll be taking thematic inspiration from a really old prayer from the Book of Common Prayer. It's nearly 500 years old and it comes from the 1552 edition of the Book of Common Prayer. These were some of the first prayers that the Church of England would have prayed in English this time of year. They're beautiful, like most prayers in the Book of Common Prayer, and we'll look at one of those in a minute. But before we pray that, I want to share a little bit from my own experience of praying written prayers I think might help some of you, if you're like me. So I grew up, many of you know this, if you just go south on 41 for about an hour and a half, that's where I grew up, in a church much like this one. So written prayers for me, either in Scripture or written by other people, were not a regular part of the way I would worship on a Sunday. 
and they were not a regular part of how I would spend time alone with God in His Word and in prayer. It wasn't until a particularly challenging time as a missionary among college students that I started to pray written prayers. An older and wiser friend of mine who knew I was going through something pretty challenging as a leader, he knew I was desperate, he said, Jeff, here's a few sermons I think would encourage your heart right now. I think you need these. I was desperate, so I quickly listened to them. And the theme of these sermons was the importance of having an intimate connection with Jesus through a lifestyle of prayer. I was desperate for that. I needed Jesus for this problem we were facing and the challenges. And one of the suggestions that the pastor in this sermons provided to increase and enhance your prayer life was to begin praying written prayers, to begin adding some scriptural prayers like we talked about throughout the summer, some things like the Lord's Prayer, and then also some written prayers that other people had just written. I was, like I said, really at the end of my rope, and so I was excited to try that. And what I found was that I integrated some written prayers into my life. My soul was transformed in very unique ways. And my prayer life grew in depth and intimacy with Jesus. And it's a practice that I continue to this day. But for me, again, like I said, I was unaccustomed to praying like that, to praying something that had been pre-written. So the big learning curve was, how do I pray from my own heart something that came out of the heart of someone else? That was important to me because I knew that the whole point of prayer was connection with God, was interactive connection with the creator of the universe. Because prayers are not spells that only work if we say them right, use the right words, and do it in the right order, right? They're not like that. Prayer is a relational interaction with the living God. So one realization that really helped me, and I hope might help some of you tonight, to pray like that, was the thought that I was already very used to and very comfortable singing words to God that other people had written. I had grown up my whole life, just like we did this morning, singing words to God from my heart that someone else wrote down ahead of time. We don't gather together and just extemporaneously sing, usually. When I realized that, that I had already the skill of singing from my heart words others wrote, I just translated that into prayer. Surely if I could sing pre-written words to God and really mean them, I could pray words that were already written down and really mean them from my heart and connect with Him. That was a skill that really helped me. But I know that there are some of you this morning whose story is very different than the one I just described for myself. For you, prayer was growing up almost entirely written. Maybe almost entirely prayer was something that you memorized and you said the right prayers at the right times. You learned and memorized them. But something was missing for you. You didn't experience prayer as a heart-level interaction with God. Instead, it felt dead. And a number of you have told me that, that prayer just felt dead. Well, if that was your experience, I don't blame you at all for being hesitant to begin praying written prayers again. I would be too, if I were you. But I do want to encourage you, if that's your story, to explore and experiment with adding some Jesus-focused prayers that have been written down already into your prayer life. You might find, like I know many have, that with a heart that is alive to Jesus, 
praying some of these ancient prayers of confession and adoration and asking God's power for the problems in your life can be extremely transformative. And in my experience, when I pray prayers that have already been written down, I end up praying things I would not have thought to pray. I pray over topics that don't come to my mind when I'm just praying from my heart spontaneously. So I would encourage you, wherever you are, if you're inexperienced with praying written prayers or you have lots, take some time to think about adding a few in this year to your prayer routines. And here is our prayer for this week, for the third Sunday of Advent. I want to read it first so that you have it in your mind what we're going to pray, and then we'll pray it together. Lord, we ask you, give ear to our prayers, and by your gracious visitation, lighten the darkness of our hearts. By our Lord Jesus Christ, amen. Let's pray together. Lord, we ask you, give ear to our prayers, and by your gracious visitation, lighten the darkness of our hearts. By our Lord Jesus Christ, amen. Lighten the darkness of our hearts. That is our theme this morning. The light of Christ breaking into the world, piercing into the darkness of the world and our hearts. I have a picture of a living room, a very uh, well-put-together living room. It does not look like mine and probably not like most of yours. But I wonder, as you look at that picture, what comes to mind? Maybe some childhood memories, time with family, maybe Santa and presents. Maybe the thoughts that come to your mind actually aren't very positive. You might be thinking of conflict or arguments, unfulfilled expectations, and maybe even loneliness. Well, whatever your reaction is to this internally, a decorated Christmas tree in a room like that can be a very powerful image. It really can stir us inside. And if we think a little bit more broadly outside of that room, just into our world right now, this season of Advent and Christmas, the idea that Christmas is coming is hard to escape, at least around here. I mean, if you drive around right now, which our family has done a number of times, there are beautiful, beautiful lights up all over. And in this year in particular, it seems like the lights are more plentiful and more beautiful than ever. Do you know that each and every Christmas light can be a symbol of the light of Christ piercing into the darkness? Every light that we see can be something that moves our mind to Christ and His light piercing into the darkness of the world. It's an opportunity to be reminded to anticipate Christ in the world. It would be impossible, I think, to be here right now in this place and not know that something was coming. But all that does make me wonder, though, as we prepare our hearts and we think thoughts of what's coming, Christmas are the thoughts we are thinking about what Christmas is actually about. I don't mean the obvious either. I don't, I'm not saying that uh, we need to fight a battle to keep Christ in Christmas. We don't need to do that. Jesus is what Christmas is all about, and he is inseparable from it. He does not need us to defend Christmas and make sure everyone knows it's about him. My friends and neighbors, at least, they know Christmas is not truly about Santa or Rudolph or a Christmas tree. They know what it's about. They know 
It's about Jesus being born. But what I think many people don't understand is why God took on human flesh and entered the world he made. They know what happened, but why? And that's what I want to look at this morning. I want to go deeper, beyond the sanitized picture of a peaceful night with an infant that isn't crying, to something deeper. I want us to see that Advent and Christmas that is coming is a commemoration of something revolutionary. It's a commemoration of the beginning of a divine invasion where good triumphs over evil, where light invades the darkness. The divine invasion is the moment that the world changed course forever. And this light invading darkness is ongoing and it involves each one of us. Because at Christmas, God took on flesh and broke into the world that he made. Some of us have heard that so many times, it's not hitting us. I'm one of those someones. So I hope this morning, as we go deeper into why, though, why did God come? Why did he invade earth in this way, that your heart will be stirred? I want to start with a prophecy of preparation from the Old Testament and then move to the New Testament to look at Jesus' visitation. So let's start with the first one, Isaiah chapter 9, if you have your Bible. It'll also be on the screen. It's Isaiah chapter 9. I'm going to read verses 2 to 7. Now this prophecy dates back to 700 B.C. Isaiah 9, verses 2 to 7. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. You have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy. They rejoiced before you as with joy at the harvest, and they are glad when they divide the spoil. For the yoke of his burden and the staff of his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, you have broken, as on the day of Midian. For every boot of the tramping warrior in battle tumult and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. For to us a child is born. To us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom, to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness, from this time forth and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Some translations Instead of saying Lord of hosts, they say the Lord of angel armies. Immediately in this prophecy, we get this image of light invading the darkness. People who were in darkness and gloom were going to see a light and have joy because of a coming ruler. The ruler would defeat all human oppression, all the enemies of God's people, and that would include sin and death that have oppressed and ruled over human beings ever since our first act of rebellion in the Garden of Eden. Then Isaiah foretold that this ruler would come as a child, a son. The divine invasion to defeat evil with good would begin with a helpless child. And then Isaiah gives this coming ruler's titles that would have absolutely shocked the Jewish people. Each one speaks of his divinity, of his godness. This wasn't going to be an ordinary, charismatic, 
human ruler. This was going to be God himself taking on human flesh, breaking into the world to do what? To rule. He is called Wonderful Counselor. Because God is all-wise and knowing, and with wisdom he would rule. He is called Mighty God. Because God is powerful and has all authority. There is no one who could make him do anything that he does not want to do, either through force over him or by authority over him that they could command him. This ruler cannot be moved by anyone else. He is called Everlasting Father because this rule would be infinite, meaning it would just go on and on and on. It will never end. And he would love and protect his people like a father to his children. And finally, this ruler is called Prince of Peace. Because God's rule brings peace, both on the earth and in the heart of human beings. But what I especially want us to see in this prophecy is that the first advent of Christ at Christmas and the second advent when he returns are about Christ's kingly rule and authority. This is all about a king and a rule. And our best advent songs and Christmas songs capture this really well. Here's just a brief sampling of the ones that came to my mind. Joy to the world, the Lord has come. Let earth receive her king. Hark the herald angels sing. Glory to the newborn king. This, this is Christ the king, who shepherds guard and angels sing. Or one more. Come and behold him born the king of angels. It's all about reign, his authority. And it's through this forever reigning that Christ is going to bring to an end every other competing rule and authority. Everything that would challenge his rule will be brought to an end. Everything that seeks to distort, to harm, and destroy his people and his good creation will be dealt with. Everything that dehumanizes us, as we talked about a few weeks ago, will be dealt with. And when his work is complete, the darkness will be fully vanquished. Creation will be renewed and full of his light and life. Athanasius, an ancient Christian, writing in the 5th century, said the renewal of creation has been wrought by the same word who made it in the beginning. The renewal of creation has been wrought by the same word who made it in the beginning. This renewal includes each one of us, his people by faith in Christ. This is much more radical than what we often think of when we think of Christmas. He came and will come again to set all things right. All things. I want to move over to the New Testament, to that passage that Brian read. We're going to start a little earlier in it, in Luke chapter 1, and just read the whole section. This comes from Zechariah, who was John the Baptist's father. As we read it, look for the parallels that we read in Isaiah showing up here again. Luke 1, 67 to 79. Luke 1, 67 to 79. And his father, Zechariah, was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, saying, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people. And he has raised up for us a horn of salvation in the house of his servant David, as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from of old, that we should be saved from our enemies 
and from the hand of all who hate us, to show the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the oath that he swore to our father Abraham to grant us that we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. And you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people and the forgiveness of their sins, because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high, to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the way of peace." There is so much poetic beauty in that prophecy, so much anticipation of Christ. The whole thing is framed in praise to God for what he has done and will do to redeem his people, each one of us. We see these similar themes again that we saw in Isaiah. A ruler would come. This ruler would not be any ordinary human, but God himself entering into creation. And upon his coming, he would reign until all his enemies were defeated, all the things that were oppressing God's people. This would mean renewal for his people, forgiveness of sins, mercy, and peace. This line especially I love, they who were sitting in darkness and the shadow of death would receive light. These words are so full of faith. They are so full of hope. Faith that God would do what he said he would do long ago. And hope that God will in time set all things right. But they do it, these words do that, without glossing over the suffering and difficulty of God's people. I'm convinced that that point, hope that does not gloss over suffering and difficulty, is very important for all of us right now. This year has been a year of much darkness. I know that many of us feel the weight and the sadness this morning very acutely. For most of us, life is a lot more work than it was. It's a lot less satisfying than it was. We miss our friends. We miss our family. We miss being able to worship together in one space on a Sunday morning. We're facing relational conflict and anxiety, disappointment, a lot of loneliness, and financial hardship in ways that we could not have imagined a year ago. This honesty about our experience is very important if we're going to be able to experience hope the way that God intends for us to. As followers of Jesus, we don't stay permanently in this place of lament over the way things are, but the lament and the honesty it requires is a crucial part of how God will get us through this dark hour and fill us with his hope. If we skip over acknowledging and expressing to God the suffering that we're experiencing in our lives and those around us are experiencing, we will miss out on seeing how great and powerful our King truly is. The more we see how broken things are, the more we will see how desperate the world was for Advent, the first Advent, and how desperate it still is for the second Advent of his return. 
Our hope for light shining in the darkness and overcoming this season is not from any human. It's not about human ingenuity or human justice, but Christ, His light piercing the darkness. I recently heard a journalist disparaging what he called theologies of optimism. His comment was a criticism of an attitude that everything's just going to turn out all right in the end, and it's coupled with an indifference to the breath of human suffering in the meantime. While it's a valid criticism, the hope that is available in Christ is very different than a sentimental theology of optimism. First, it's important to clarify what hope actually is. Christian hope is not just wishing that things are going to turn out all right against all evidence to the contrary right now. That's not what Christian hope is. Hope is the joyful anticipation of good from God. I read that definition years ago and it has transformed me. Hope is the joyful anticipation of good from God. It's anticipating Christ and his action in the world, his activity to set all things right. Optimism is just a positive view that things are going to get better. It's very different than what Isaiah and Zechariah were describing. They did not believe that everything was just going to turn out okay in the end on its own. They believed the world was deeply broken and dark and needed of rescue. And they trusted. They trusted because of who God had shown himself to be to them, both in their experience and in the prophetic word. They were able to joyfully anticipate good for him, from him. The truth is that left on our own, without intervention from God coming in the flesh, things will not turn out okay. And as, as I've been saying, this, this kind of hope is far from being indifferent to suffering. In fact, I believe that this hope is the only way we can actually look at and see what suffering really is and what darkness really is without denying it and being honest about it. As we read these promises, these prophecies of preparation about Christ's light overcoming darkness, it can be tempting to focus on everything that's wrong out there, everything that we run into in the world that we just feel like this is wrong, this is an injustice, this doesn't seem fair. It's true, there's a lot that's wrong in the world that needs to be set right. But the light that Jesus brings is not just for what's out there, is it? The light that Jesus brings is also for what's in here. The light that he brings is for our own hearts as well. It's a key, key aspect of what his rule is going to accomplish is the renovation of our hearts to be just like his heart. He's going to remove all darkness in the world and in our hearts. Just like our prayer asked today, Lord, lighten the darkness of our hearts. And as we follow Jesus as his apprentice, he will shine on us that way. And he will reveal to us the condition of our hearts and the parts of our hearts that still need renovation, that still need renewal. I think that that process can actually be pretty painful sometimes when we suddenly get a glimpse of darkness that still does remain in our hearts. But really, it's a grace. It's God's grace that gives us eyes to see what still needs to happen inside of ourselves. Because the truth is, our hearts, the fault setting is to drift away from God. 
not towards him. Sadly, our natural mode of operation is to see the world as belonging to us and to live like we are God and that all things revolve around us. When we do that, whether explicitly in our mind or not, we live as if we are king. And when things don't inevitably revolve around us, we know what our hearts do when that happens. At the same time that we're seeking to be kings and run run life our own way, we have this insatiable appetite to take the good things that God gives us and to turn them into idols. Good things in our lives that are, are supposed to be blessings to us, we have the ability to turn into something that we worship. John Calvin went as far as to say that our hearts are idol factories. That is, our, our, our hearts are constantly manufacturing, creating new objects for our worship that we bow down to and serve. It's a really odd thing if you think about it, that in one moment our hearts are just grasping and seizing for control and rule, and in another moment we're creating things to bow down to. Well, like John the Baptist called the first followers of Jesus that we just read to repentance and preparation for his arrival, this season of Advent is a time for us to, again, prepare our hearts for his arrival and to ask God to lighten the darkness that we see there. Listen to how the psalmist asks God to do that. Psalm 119, 23 and 24. He says, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there be any grievous way in me. Lead me in the way everlasting. It's beautiful. Again, knowledge of this darkness that still remains allows us to cry out for help. It can be hard to face, but it's freeing to see Not only what's still there, but what God has already been freeing us from. We do not grieve, though, as people who have no hope when we see these things, right? In Christ, every provision has been made for us to walk with Him. Every provision for dealing with what is still left in us has already been made. In Him, we have complete forgiveness, and we will have complete renewal. Listen to 2 Corinthians 5.17. It says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ... He is a new creation. Behold, the new has come, the old has passed away. We are new creations in Him. Our hearts are being renewed, no longer slaves to sin and death. Instead, we become people of light. Christ is the light and He makes us into people of light. That light flows into the world. Hear me for a minute here. If you, like me, have ever been surprised or discouraged by the darkness that still remains in your own heart. My prayer for you and for all of us this morning is that we would have a fresh anticipation of the activity of God, our King, in our heart. That this morning we could again anticipate, God, free us from the things that we continue to encounter inside of ourselves that we do not want to be there. This is a season of anticipation and of hope and of Christ's coming. And this morning can be a fresh start of that anticipation for us. Listen to how Eugene Peterson puts it in his children's book called The Christmas Troll. He said, It's wise to live life expectantly, alert to the surprises of God. It's wise to live life expectantly, alert to the surprises of God. One never knows how our king is going to work and what he's already doing in each one of us. 
We need to be alert to that and to expect it. Christ is reigning right now, right? As wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, and His reign will never end. His rule and the renewal and peace it brings will continue to advance and advance and advance in the world. He has already won defeat over His enemies, and one day He's going to return, and when He returns, He will finish what He began with His first coming. We will see peace between God and man like we've never seen, peace between humans, and actually peace in creation. If you want to note, Isaiah 11 would be a fun read to see what kind of peace is coming in creation as well. This season of Advent is about anticipating Christ. It's about a divine invasion where good triumphs over evil and where light invades the darkness. God entering the world brings life, brings light. Whatever darkness you are facing this morning, it does not get the final word. Darkness will not win. Light triumphs over darkness. Listen to John 1.5. The light shines in the darkness. The darkness has not overcome it. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. So this is my family's Advent wreath. We've been using it for quite a while now. We put some fresh candles on this morning. And each Sunday in Advent, we light one of the candles. And the exciting thing about today is it's the first day we'll have more lit candles because it's the third Sunday than unlit. This Advent wreath is a reminder during this season that the light has come into the world and the light is coming. And each Sunday that we light another candle, it can stir hope and peace in our hearts that He is with us and that He is coming again. I would like us to pray that prayer that we prayed together at the beginning. It'll be back up on the screen. And after we pray it, I want to give us just a few moments of silence where we can sit silently before Jesus, meet His presence, and be nourished by Him. And after a few moments, I'll pray, and then the worship team can lead us in a final song of worship to Jesus. Let's pray together. Lord, we ask you, give ear to our prayers, and by your gracious visitation, lighten the darkness of our hearts. By our Lord Jesus Christ, amen. Father, thank you that we can meet you in this silence, even a short silence like this. We trust that you are present. Lord, we know that you are within us by your Holy Spirit. 
We pray for each other this morning that you would kindle a fresh and a new light in our hearts. Lord, would you help us to anticipate Christ, his activity, his action, his presence in our life this week. Would you lighten our darkness, God? Renovate our hearts to be like your heart. We praise you, our exalted and resurrected King, this morning. In Jesus' name, amen.